0: So it seems like every time I come to speak, there's a snowstorm. <laughs> I'm taking it personally. Uh, thank you for for coming, even though it seems like there's a snowstorm on the way, and I I won't go longer than nine or ten hours. So I think we should be uh, done from here. Actually, uh, you time zone, you know, let me know when my time's about up, also. All right. Um. So. Um, yeah, talent and analytics and the <coughs> the workforce and, you know, um, it's all sort of, you know, what are you guys doing? And I think um, Moneyball is just a fabulous example of what we are doing at Talent Analytics, except we tend not to do it with sports teams. <laughs> um, but think of what we do as really using an analytics approach. And today I'm here to talk about um, using an analytics approach to build a big data workforce. But I want you to think about, in a bigger sense, that there, it's possible to use analytics to build a workforce, just like you can use it in Moneyball to build a top-performing team going against maybe some of the traditional ways and methodologies for interviewing that slugger or you know, whatever. There are There are ways to use analytics to do that. And today, I'm here to talk about Um, uh, what we've done from a research perspective of building and really using a quantitative approach to understand data scientists and analytics professionals. Um, I'm the CEO of Talent Analytics. We've been doing this for about 12 years, so early on people were saying, talent and analytics, what are you doing? And truthfully, we didn't know what we were doing either. We just really thought, is there a way that we can quantify that it factor that people have? And when we look at top performers in a role, um, would we be able to see that there was anything there from an it factor, factor perspective that we could measure and actually predict performance in a role? That's what we we're really looking to do. So for the past 12 plus years or whatever it is, we've been focusing on um, modeling and optimizing human performance. And the one change that I make is a lot of people that are in analytics and predictive analytics today are focused on modeling customer performance. And I like to point out that you know, when you think about data scientists, I think a blog of ours went live today, the difference between a rocket scientist and a data scientist. And typically with rocket scientists, they're looking to optimize maybe systems performance or, you know, let's take a little bit of drag off of an airplane wing or off of our rocket wing or whatever. As you take a look at data scientists and what they typically do, a lot of times what they're dealing with is human performance. Um, and how can we model customer performance? How can we see uplift? How can we predict when they're going to buy? You know, what coupon should we give them so that they actually do the activity? And so we're doing absolutely and precisely exactly the same things using the same modeling techniques and algorithms and that sort of thing. We're just doing it inside the organizational walls. And we believe that, um, if you want to say HR or employee analytics is actually, you know, the new marketing. You know, marketing has really been the big thing. This is the year for employee analytics and we're so grateful because we've been doing it for 12 years. And we're like, yes, our day has finally come and we're, and we're, we'll, we're, we're well prepared. <laughs> Just to tell you for a few slides, you know, what we do, because I know since we've been studying data scientists, you're all sitting there going, what is it that you do? So I didn't want you to be not paying attention because you're curious about that. So we have a platform called Advisor, and what Advisor does is really quantitatively measure via a survey something that we call raw talent or your mindset. And think of that as you know you're born and you're very good at things naturally, and you've always been very good at those things. And you're good at those things and maybe I'm not great at those things um, and I would never will be regardless of my training so what we wanted to do was see is there a survey a short survey that can measure those things in a quantitative way yes, Scott, <laughs> um, that, de- that delivers, you know, regardless of your role, whether you're a data scientist or, you know, a customer service person or if, if you're in, you know, college or whatever, that we can, you know, measure those same things, 11 scores per person. So that's what we do. We have a platform that measures that. It outputs it into a CSV file so that when people are actually doing data, scientists, data science and they're trying to optimize employee behavior and they're looking at, Any KPIs, whether it's big data, little data, massive data, whatever, they can actually combine the people themselves, their scores, and see you know, are there any correlations between those characteristics and performance. Um, It's very helpful because very often the variables that we measure uh, end up being an independent variable, so they're actually very predictive of performance in a role. And then we have a platform that allows people to deploy their um, predictive models. So that's kind of what uh, Talent Analytics does. The business challenges that we solve are predicting top and bottom performers, and we can literally predict um, once we've gone through our predictive modeling processes. We focus on things like uh, top performing sales reps, bottom performing sales reps, or call center representatives, or engineers, um, et cetera, so we can actually predict with very high accuracy, about 62% accuracy, um, what somebody's sales uh, are going to be just based on their talent analytics scores. um, it starts to be extraordinary when you start to think, really, Is it, are we that predictive? But again, we're doing that on the customer side as well. Think of the accuracy that you can have that if I, you know, if I give Greta this coupon, if I continue to, ha- continue to have this campaign, I can actually predict at which time she's probably going to buy. And it's a similar sort of thing, or what's going to make me leave the program, that sort of thing, and we're doing exactly the same thing on the um, employee side. So we do a lot of helping people to predict top and bottom performers um, on the candidate side so that they can avoid the bottom performers and they can select the top performers. Predict employee churn, which again, I'm trying to lay this out just to help you understand. Again, on the customer side, people are, you know, let's predict customer churn. You know, what's going to make them leave? How can we reduce that? So what we're doing is exactly the same thing except just with employees. And then we also have this little... Uh, area that we've gotten very good at which is predicting top data science scientists and this is one clearly that I think you're here to talk about and hear me uh, talk about what we've been doing in this particular area Um, and hopefully it will be interesting to you. I wanted to talk a little bit about what the genesis was of the research that we did. Um, I'm on the faculty also of an organization called the International Institute for Analytics and it is Tom Davenport's research organization if you know of the name, uh, Tom Davenport, and so I was part of a, uh, a conversation that was happening with global thought leaders as data scientists, uh, or that hire a lot of data scientists, this was about a year and a half ago, and they were saying, well, what are they, what do they know, how can I find them, how can I hire them, how do I know if they're good or bad or otherwise, etc." and there were a lot of things being bandied around like, well, do you think they're curious? Or, oh, here's a good interview question, ask them about this. And after a while it's like, you have got to be kidding me. Look at us here. You know, we're arguably some of the best you know analytics people in the world, most quantitative people, and when it comes to solving like a hiring decision of how do I figure out what is a great data scientist or analytics professional, all of a sudden you turn all squishy and weird. There has to be a better way. So I proposed that we use the talent analytics methodology and said, you know what, for something sort of, you know, it's hard to get your hands around as a data scientist, it would be a big feather in our cap at talent analytics if we were actually able to quantify that. And I said, let's do something together. So we started conducting the research um, together to really understand uh, more about uh, data scientists and what they look at. And so that's what I'm here to talk about, kind of what some of the findings were, and hopefully it will be useful to you. A little about kind of the business challenges of building a um, you know big data workforce and you know an analytics bench. On the one side, we have a very young field, and you'll see some of the data that we got back from uh, the research that we did. How young it is! Um, even looking at a lot of the young faces out there, though, I've got a lot of gray hair, so everybody looks young to me these days. Um, but it's a very young field in terms of what's happening with analytics today. Um, Young practitioners, you know, the people that are actually doing the analytics are also young. And then I see, you know, I read a lot of data scientists' job descriptions, and I read, you know, interview guides, and I talk to a lot of hiring managers about what they want, or they call and they say, why are they leaving? Um, And what I find, sorry, there's some (laughs) distracting noise. It's not just in my head. I think it's, (laughs) it's
1: it's the dentist workshop. Is it
0: the dentist workshop? It's not a big deal. Okay. Um, so, what I find a lot of times is that the role requirements are not well defined at all. You know, and people are saying, we need an analytics professional or we need a data scientist. And you read the job descriptions and you're like, what do they really need me to do? It sounds, it looks like more than ever they've just really copied the job description from somebody else and just sort of plastered them out there. On the other hand, um, what we see is that sometimes they're very generic, and you're like, "Wow, you kind of want me to do everything here." Another uh, thing that is happening is that the comparables are different. We've had the uh, fortune of speaking at a lot of predictive analytics worlds and informs conferences and things like that, and people go there mostly to learn things like, you know, well, how did you solve that problem, or what algorithms are you using, um, that sort of thing. But very often, very infrequently, in fact, it never happens to say. And what kind of team did you have working with you that actually, you know, what were they made up of, you know, from a comparable perspective so that you could say, oh, we need to have a team like that as well. On the other hand, you have the DJ Patil and Tom Davenport are saying it's the sexiest job of the 21st century. So you have people, you know, that are getting trained and really rushing into that area. And so there's really, you know, those two different things that are going on that really, uh, you know, contributes to that being a really uh, tough business challenge. And then a lot of times people spend time on the talent supply on the left-hand side. We were talking about this earlier with Vishal. By the way, I am going to make these slides available to you if if you want them. I'll give you a URL at the end if you want to download them. So um, um, I just saw some people taking copious notes, so I'll be happy to, you know, you can still do that. Um, But a lot of people are saying, ah, you know, we don't have nearly enough data scientists and putting all their time and energy into that, and so that's very well documented. We need more uh, of the talent supply. Um, But what we really wanted to do was focus on uh, working data scientists, model them if we can, so that we can provide a tool to people that are out there looking uh, for more folks. And this is the one that we're going to focus on today. Any questions before I continue? Feel free to interrupt as we go along, by the way, and raise your hand and ask a question. Yes?
2: If you can throw into your conversation a little bit about lesser than full-fledged data scientists, the aspirational data scientists, and if you have anything to talk about some of the newer tools, the analytics tools that will help uh, the lesser knowledgeable uh, aspirational data scientists do the same type of insight gathering.
0: Data yep. So the question was, you know, there's the full-fledged data scientist or analytics professional, and then there's the aspirational ones. Can I include that kind of in my discussion? And absolutely, I can do that. With regards to tools, I'm not the best person to give that uh, have that conversation. And the reason is, what we really focus on is something. You know, we don't measure skills. We don't measure. Uh, Knowledge, we don't measure competencies, we don't measure any of those things that people typically measure. Um, Those we would call skill sets or knowledge or things that are met, you know, or learned, things that are learned. So imagine that as being this layer, things that are learned that, you know, pretty much anybody can learn. But the question is, you know, do you have the mindset that is the layer below that? That says you know what I don't need somebody to give me formal training because I'm so good I have this mindset for how I think that if I need to learn it or if I need to do it I'm gonna go out and figure out how to do it myself and so if you hold that for a second we actually did I did a lot a lot of personal interviewing for about 12 uh, thought leaders like you know um, the head of hiring, the the head of uh, uh, big data analytics at LinkedIn and Farmers Insurance and uh, Jeannie Harris at Accenture, et cetera, to say you know what are some of the things that work really well for you in hiring and that sort of thing. And um, I'm not going to jump the gun, but I'll come back and I'll answer that question in a second of why we don't focus on that because pretty much everybody else does. And I think it's really important. It's just not what we focus on. But I'll talk about the aspirational. I think it's a really important question. As are the tools. So again, the role requirements, very overspecified, very generic at some times, um, also have competing requirements. I need you to do this. You know, I need you to sit and do a lot of tasks, heads down, really work on your algorithms and that sort of thing. And then somehow magically jump up and rebound and say, I'm going to be you know, very sort of charismatic as I, and you know, have great communication skills as I go out and I present. And I just knew after reading these that there's a lot of competing requirements on there, that it's just not possible to have a single person that, has, that does all of these things. And so, again, the result is that I think what we have a lot of times is hiring managers and HR that is looking, you know, really has an impossible uh, situation to fill as they go out in the interview and they're like expecting you can do this and this, when in fact those are, if you do this, there's no way you're going to do this. And so that's what we really tried uh, to figure out. And I'll talk to you about some of those um, as we go forward. This is one of the contradictions that um, I found with all of the folks that I interviewed when I said, um, okay, do you hire internally or do you hire externally when you're hiring analytics professionals or when you're you know, data scientists? And by the way, I'm gonna use that terminology interchangeably because our research started out being a data scientist survey and one of the things we asked was, tell me what your title was and there was such a small number of people that had that title, Um, we actually changed it to an analytics professional uh, study. So I know there's a lot of conversation around, is there a difference between a data scientist and they're really special and they're a unicorn and they just have this thing up here and we're like, we're, we're tired of that conversation. Let's really just talk about the people that are doing the work and what they're doing and who they are and let's get a practical example in here. So we're gonna use those interchangeably. So when we asked the folks at LinkedIn and Accenture and Farmers and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, um, you know, when you hire data scientists, analytics professionals, do you hire internally or externally and 100% externally? And we said, I said, well, why is that? And it happened to be the first question that I asked. Um, And they said, well, internal candidates don't have the right skills. I'm like, all right, you know, make notes or whatever. Weirdly, and I wasn't the smart, but the last question I asked was, what's the number one hiring mistake that you can make if you were to give, you know, if you were to give advice now that you are one of the thought leaders in this to avoid, the biggest you can make, mistake you can make is hiring for technical skills. And I was like, wait a second, this doesn't fit here. You're saying that's why you're going externally, but then you're saying it's your biggest mistake. And they were like, oh boy, we feel really stupid. Um, But I'm bringing all of this up because I think people, and when I go to these conferences and when I talk to hiring managers, they're starting to come to the conclusion that they ran out and they hired a bunch of people that on their resumes, and skills are important, but I'm gonna ask a question at the end that says, other than that you know more skills or more software or more tools than the other guy, what makes you special, okay? Because anybody can go out there, I would be a horrible data scientist, but if I put my head to it just because I'm a real bulldog, I could learn R and I could learn Python and I could get do whatever just because I'm kind of a bulldog. I'd be horrible at it. You don't want to hire me as that. I could get it on my resume too. What makes you special when you're trying to get hired or when you're doing your work and when you think about your value in your role, it has to be different from just skills. Because managers are starting to realize what they didn't know is how long it took you to get those skills and whether you had a formal class. And if you had a formal class, you're probably, when we start to talk about the things that we found that were important as data scientists, um, they were the people that went out and trained themselves and that said, no, I haven't a foggiest idea how to use X, rapid or whatever. But you know what? On a weekend, for love of the game, they did it. Because they were like, I can't can't for a second not know that. I have to know that. Um, I have to figure it out. And so in talking with hiring managers, and I think it was the one in Boston, actually, the last predictive analytics world in Boston, I was uh, working with a table full of uh, people, and they were talking about how you hire, whatever. I said, number one mistake you can make, 100% hiring for skills. So if you go in there, and if you're thinking that that's what sets you apart, it doesn't. You, you almost have to have that to get it in and say, yeah, I have that. So I just wanted to put that out there. And it's the reason that we don't focus just on skills. Skills are important. Which brings us to a point. Yes, question.
3: Um, I would like to ask you um, if you address, uh, when, when you ask all these questions, if it's a part of your uh, frame of mind, all the transformation that we have had in the last, let's say, 30, 40 years in terms of science and, and almost everything around us, Let's say of the 50s or even the 60s, you're only going to use a statistician if you were working in, you know, national census or perhaps in a forecast service. Right. Now, as science really changed and we went into microbiology, microanalysis, and, and from that we went from the analog to the real digital world, then all these tools yeah. become important. Yeah. There was no reason for them to be part of the vocabulary for any, any scientist or right. social scientists or you know bench scientists. Right. But this is a reality now. So therefore it is a science transformation. Yes. Rather than a lack of skills. It's just that universities and you know have been very slow to adapt and give the tools that people really need.
0: Right, right. And I think it is a science transformation. I I'm going to say a slightly different thing than what you said, but I think it is a science transformation than I think what people thought is it's been a people transformation and that all of a sudden there's a new kind of person that is being birthed. And oh, my God, I can't find them and I need to have one. And that was part of me thinking that can't be. It just can't be. You know, we need to learn new things or some of these things now are coming into play again or maybe we need to tweak them. It's a it, it's it is a transformation. It's not a people transformation, and that there's a new kind of critter running around, you know, pretending to be human, but they're really not. And so that's what I think you bring up some really great points. I, th- I think it's really great, um, which brings me then to thinking about as people say, and I'm nothing if not practical, and all, and also I try to I've always said I always try to see the opposite or go that can't be, you know, kind of be skeptical and say well let's look at the data but as you you know the first i think with data science was looking at the data set oh it's big data it's little data it's whatever it's bigger than this it's now even really big it's huge data so a lot of focus on the data set then a lot of focus on the skill set oh do you have this or do you have this or what level are you do you know hadoop do you know whatever and these were really the two that are very focused on, and I think a lot of people ran out there and hired a lot of people that could work with massive data sets and had all the skill sets, and then they sat there and said, I'm not working out, don't know what I'm missing. It's really hard to get these people, and it wasn't their fault, right? It's, it's not their fault at all, but I think more than any other role that we've seen or certainly extraordinarily important in this role is the mindset. And you'll hear you know, Davenport and DJ Patil and those folks talk about skill sets important, you gotta have the mindset. You need to know, and that notice is a more fundamental level than skill set or data set. Because you can throw a da- the right data set at me and the right skill sets at me, but if I don't know what to do with the skills or how to really manipulate that or what to do or if it's really hard for me every time a new version comes out or I'm like, Oh, I just mastered Python, and now you're going to ask me to do this. What, you know, training are you going to send, you're, you know, And you're very rigid about your learning and I only want to do this one thing, that's not a data scientist, that's not an analytics person in the way that, you know, you really need in the role today. Any comments or feedback? Am I way off? Are you right. seeing things? Hmm. Yep.
4: So the fact that the mindset is something very important for a data scientist. Is that specific of data science itself, or is the reason is that... We just don't have enough qualified people, and they have
0: basically to train themselves. Yeah, the question is, is mindset important just for data scientists? And let's say if we fast forward 10 years or 15 years, and now we have all the data, you know, a big glut of data scientists that are all uh, trained, and they have all the skills and everything, Will mindset at that point still be important. Um, So the first thing is mindset is important for every role. Um, So in sales, right, I could have somebody that's really aggressive and you're, you know, really friendly and I'm like, hey, how are you? Um, But if I'm aggressive about saving the environment instead of being aggressive about, like, really getting to the sale, I don't have the right mindset for that. You can try to train me and go, oh, I forgot, I kept talking about the environment because that's what I care about. Mindset is important, even more so in a data scientist. So 15 years from now, 30 years from now, it's still going to be important because, you know, people's dads and moms were data scientists, and so they're going to get into that, or it seemed like there's the most money there, they're going to go there, even though that, that really isn't what they want to do. And so, but even more so in this role, when when part of it is really cognitively, kind of how are you approaching it, it's really important. Does that help? Okay, question.
2: But Dempo talked about um, the need for the statistical understanding, which is a technical skill. Yep. You talked about, Science slash hacker abilities, yep. knowing R and some of the other programming languages. Yep. And then in the middle, they talked about the times that to be lacking was the soft skills. Yep. You only need to take those insights, translate them into um, good presentations, and, and let your senior you manager know uh, what you discovered and found out. So, um, are you releasing the need for the technical skill set of statistics and computer programming uh, in the here?
0: Never. In the same way, with my if I had a surgeon, I wouldn't just say I want you to have the mindset. I really want them to have the <laughs> skill set, right? No, I really like no, not releasing it for a second. But I'm saying that, um, but I'm saying that I would rather have a surgeon or a data scientist with the mindset. If you're looking for top performance, not average performance, can your you know a sales rep without the mindset sort of limp along and sort of under the radar? Yeah. We're focused on top performance, just like with customers. You're, look at, you're looking to optimize my, you know, marketing dollar for the customers that are going to buy. And so, think about, you know, employee optimization. You know, businesses are saying, ah, the economy is really bad. How can I kind of optimize this asset that's here? It's the same way. When uh, Davenport talks about soft skills, and I know the work that you're referring to. He's touching on our mindset. Um, that's exactly what he's talking about. He calls it a different thing. It's, it makes us nuts. We're like, oh, for God's sakes, we did this work with you. Please call it mindset. But he does his own thing. He's a great guy. But yeah, that's that's exactly what he's talking about. Yep. I think that,
1: uh, the question about the, the skill set, particularly in data science, it's sort of, if you, you can teach people how to use a hammer and a saw, but if you have a pile of lumber and a bunch of carpenters show up. You'll need somebody that looks at a pile of wood and sees a building.
0: Right, right. You do. Right,
1: and because and, otherwise the carpenter's going to show them not what to do. Yeah. And that's where the mindset
0: comes. Yeah. And there are some people, and we actually did some work for, and this is not every actuary in the world, but you think, you know, about some, you know, because some people say, oh, we have so many actuaries. Let's move them over into data science. And so for some of our direct customers that we work with, you know, we sort of compared a lot of the actuaries. and That's a very different kind of work. And so, when you're like, can we just train them to do, no, not all of them. Some of them, yes. And we're like, boom, you're a really good, you know, one that, but then actuary is really looking at implementing beautifully inside of a particular set of non-risk sort of things. And when data science, you're looking for multiple sort of views at the same thing, you're like, get creative, get out of the box, kind of look at it this way. If you come to one answer, don't let that be your end. You know, look at it again and again. And so, you're exactly right, okay? So, now Science. this was the uh, analytics professional study that we did, uh, again, in conjunction with uh, the International Institute for Analytics, really led by um, talent analytics. Um, and what we wanted to do in the study was really, again, take a quantitative approach to defining raw talent or mindset or soft skills or whatever you want to call it in analytics professionals. You know, and we're like, I don't, like any experiment, we're like, I don't know what we're going to see here. Maybe I'm goofy. Maybe they really are unicorns and this is about new kinds of people. I don't know. Um, And we wanted there to, so really mindset versus skill set. And you want those skill sets to build on the mindset. So it's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy, if you will. You want to have these basic needs met. You know, you want to be fed. You're getting that back there, the Maslow's thing, you want to be fed. You want to have the mindset, then you put the skill set on top of that. What you don't want to do is miss these bottom layers, right? Because you know it, it just doesn't work that way. And we wanted to focus on practical outcomes versus purely academic. And um, we came actually uh, shortly after I think there was a great study by EMC that had done some work on on data science, and uh, we wanted to see kind of how we compared as well. And since we're you know, privately funded, you know, organization, private organization. We were hoping that we would come out with something of value at the end that we could then license to organizations going forward. Um, so we had a, a global sample of 304, what we call deep dive data scientists or analytics professionals. And the folks that were on our team included Tom, included, um, um, Uh, Bob Morrison, who also co-wrote, he was a co-author with uh, Tom Davenport, Bill Franks, who's the chief analytics officer from Teradata, um, and a couple of other folks are chief scientists as well, and taking a look at this, so I feel super confident in how we, you know, define this and what we measured and that sort of thing. Um, I did a lot of meetup groups like this, uh, slogging it, um, you know, two years ago or so, saying, please participate. Data scientists love data, they don't like being the data, so it was actually (laughs) really hard to get them to be the data. Um, But we had lots of analytics media supporting us, Katie Nuggets, All Analytics, um, et cetera, et cetera, as well as all of the Predictive Analytics World events, um, LinkedIn groups, IA members, blah, 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 whatever, and it consisted of um, some demographic information that we gathered and then the traditional things that we ask around uh, mindset, pulled it all into a Google spreadsheet and then sort of uh, went nuts analyzing it as we did. Our primary uh, analysis tool for this particular project was R, and the uh, three methods that we used were regression, fuzzy clustering, and um, tree modeling, which turned out to uh, show us our our best results. So first, uh, some descriptive statistics that we had, and we have, as you might imagine, tons of data. I'm not going to present it all um, to you here. Um, You know, 57% of our sample was uh, under 40 years old. Um, So I talked about kind of its young discipline and also the young practitioners that are there, 17% um, over 50. And I think this starts to get into a really interesting concept I'll bring up later, which talks about everybody running around saying, ah, we don't have any supply. But I think it's really interesting to think about demand. Who is creating demand for these projects? Who knows? I think a lot of times, and I urge you this as, you know, inside of your organizations, for those of you that have roles or are hiring managers, are you expecting the data scientist to actually be the one that goes, you know what? We could do a real great project where analytics could be used to do X typically the analytics, the data scientist is not the one bringing up projects and creating demand for the data scientist. And so nobody except me is talking about demand, but I think it's a really interesting thing to think about in your organizations of how is that demand gonna happen and can an analytics person work with a business person to say, you know, let's trade here. Let me understand your business. Let me understand a little bit more about what analytics maybe can do so we can create demand and do great projects that can yield great results. So um, part of as I looked at the age here was I think part of what you get, you know, with some gray hair is, you know, seeing a bigger area of the organization and going, you know what, maybe we could solve this here. Um, 72% male, uh, which was similar for, Uh, uh, typical STEM uh, roles and the gender trend was similar across um, all age groups. The highest educational degree and we ask a lot about education um, and so 47 percent had master's degrees it was definitely the most you know the highest uh, percentage of people that had there so for people running out to get PhDs it's really important what we saw early on is that people were hiring PhDs and it was a must-have And um, for those of you that know, John Elder, um, who runs Elder Research, arguably one of the greatest predictive analytics uh, um, uh, practitioners out there, and he is a PhD and he's lovely and and a good friend of the firm and of ours, um, says what you don't want to do is hire somebody that's so smart and so research-oriented that they never get to the end of that, that they're obsessed with researching more. And so I think that maybe is what happens sometimes, and there's a good balance, because obviously PhDs are extraordinary. He is one. You know, I have a lot of friends that are PhDs. I'm not one. But um, um, what we also saw in our samples was that the largest percentage of PhDs were in management, um, for what that, you know, for what that says. I don't know why or whatever, but that is is one of the things that we saw. Um, I did research these folks to find out who they were, And they were interns, so, uh, because that just sort of bugged me. Really? Okay. Um, I'm open for that, but, um, so they hadn't quite graduated yet. Um, So, um, what can we say about it? This, I think, was very similar to what we saw in an EMC uh, um, uh, um, research study, and there were a couple others out there as well. Um, The degree areas, and we let people actually write in their degree because we wanted to not miss anything if there was something out there. And so we had them write in, and then we sort of uh, hand-pulled everything together, really dominated by math, statistics, and business, many in computer science, engineering, liberal arts, engineering operations, research, and very few people in finance, economics, and in any sort of creative degrees, which I was personally interested in just because I had been hearing so much talk around, they're so creative, and I was like, because we measure things directly, we measure creativity directly, and I wanted to see if we could measure it, and if we found it in their demographics, and of the entire sample, I think we had three people that had any sort of degree that even touched on anything creative, like it was like French, um, or English, um, or something like that. So, that made it very interesting because then I thought, hmm, when we measure the mindset, will we actually come up with people that are creative or not? And we'll show you that a little bit later. We talked about the total number of years that they've been professionally employed. Forty-five percent have been employed at all in, you know, as a you know, as a professional, um, so almost half of the people have been employed uh, less than 10 years. Um, How many years have you been employed as an analytics professional? You know, 3% of the people, I'm sorry, 30% of the people less than five years. How many years have you been employed by your current employer? Half of the people, less than, you know, three years with my current employer, and this is the one that blew me away. How many years have you been employed in your current analytics role? 88% said they'd have been employed for less than five years in their current analytics role. 50% i have been employed there for less than two years. It's a really young, you know, it's a young discipline or this current iteration. So part of the reason I bring this up is that I think it's uh, fun to think about combining teams together. I think, you know, people that have been there a longer time, maybe in the, um, you know, just in the business world in general, I think there needs to be some cross-pollination so that you can do that. Also, if you are looking for, you know, for work out there. Everybody's young, or a lot of people are, so don't feel like, you know, they have 90 years of experience doing this. Um, it's a young field, so. Anyway, I thought it was very interesting. Um, big picture, young, mostly male. Most are quite new to, their, to analytics in general, their current company, and their current role. The other thing that we ask, and I'm hoping that you will find this really interesting. Was there a question? Yeah. I- yeah.
1: These are descriptive yep. of what you're doing. So we talked about uh, the companies like LinkedIn that and the Seesaw, of uh, they were hiring and they were hiring the wrong people because they were looking for the wrong thing. Anytime you look at STEM and you see a high yep. male gender bias, you don't know if that's a selection bias or a selection, you know, by, by the hiring people or selection bias by people who choose to into the field. Correct. And the same thing with the degree. Correct. The job description says you have to have a master's degree, then that's going to skew the master's degree.
0: Completely. Did
1: you have any way to control for that, or that was not the task
0: at this point? You're just saying what's out there. That was not the task at this point. We were measuring what was out there. Yeah, and I expect, by the way, I'll be right with you, I expect that, um, and we want to continue this and sort of see it over time longitudinally, because I suspect this will, um, I think this will change a little bit. Um, and I think it will also, we saw some, again, it was so hard to ask uh <laughs> analytics people to participate and to get them. Uh, we did a lot of arm-wringing, but uh, we had to make it completely anonymous, so we couldn't ask, like, you know, what um, industry are you in? We didn't even ask for their own email address. We couldn't ask what country you're in. We couldn't, because there was a lot of market researchers in, that were in there that were like, I'm not giving you my data. So we had to continue to make it more and more anonymous. So, yeah, would have loved to have known that, but wasn't the wasn't the role of this. It's a great question, though, and I bet there's a lot of that in there. Uh,
3: My question to you is, do you have any idea how many physicists were in in, in, in this, um, in in your group? Because uh, from from my experience and talking with um, people that were interviewing at uh, Sloan School down the street, um, especially during the 2000s, there was a a lot of interest in hiring um, PhD in physics, Mm -hmm. physicists, people with a lot of training in quantum mechanics and stuff like that, rather than mathematicians. I mean, Wall Street, rather have a physicist than a mathematician.
0: I agree with you, and we did see that. I don't have it broken out separately. The question was, did we see a lot of physicists in our survey? And we did. Um, And uh, yeah, and and we've seen that and actually got that back from... um, the interviewing that I did with people when I said, who do you hire, what works well, and, you know, meteorologists came up quite a bit because there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, yeah, and uh, um, physics people, etc. so yes, that was something that, that popped up quite often. Yep, concur. Yep. Anything else? Okay. One thing that we asked was, um, to try to not have it be so fuzzy, what is this? And to try to, you know, say, what do they do all day? Okay, let's build a workflow. And so we got our minds together and had some nice sparring in terms of what is an analytics workflow, um, and what are the steps that really go all the way from the beginning of an analytics um, assignment, um, all the way through the end when it's done, it's operationalized, and, and off it goes. And so. We ended up coming up with these steps, and there's a couple, you know, a a year later that I would add in here, things that I would change. Um, But I think it's very good, I think it's very solid, and I think we could sit here and argue about a couple, but, um, you know, starting all the way from analysis and design to data acquisition and collection, data preparation, data analytics, data mining, visualization, programming, interpretation, presentation, administration, and managing other analytics professionals. And we wanted to really look at the whole thing. And so we asked people, okay, in a week, what percentage of time, I think we actually had them to put in uh, the number of hours, and we thought it was some fun. We separately calculated if they had calculated how many hours there were and if they over. We just thought, we know this group, and they and they were, they were had calculated. So we had some uh, analytics fun with that. Um, So anyway, what we wanted to do is kind of get a map of how are people, you know, how are people spending their time and did anything cluster together Um, in terms of the people that did data analytics? Were they also doing presentations? Were they also, you know, were there things that clustered together? And if so, how are they clustering? Because especially... Uh, at LinkedIn, I was so struck by the conversation where he talked about what he said was he hires focused generalists. So instead of saying, and I think this is one of the things that I hear a lot, they expect me to do everything. No single person can do everything in the workflow. What he said is he agrees with that. But, you know, let's go in. If this is the workflow, let's hire somebody that maybe does this today that can expand to that or does this and expands to that versus saying, I need somebody to do this. Because you're gonna find those unicorns that can do you know, this, but they're few and far between. And so I was really interested to see what we came up with here. And in the analysis that we did, um, the best fit that we could get was what we called four functional clusters of uh, folks that, um, the folks that clustered together, the first cluster we uh, saw was people that did data acquisition, also did preparation, also did the analytics, and we called that cluster the data preparation cluster. We saw that the folks that did a lot of programming did some analytics, we call that the programmer function. We saw that the manager role did, um, you know, management of other analytics professionals, they did administration, and they also did the presentation and interpretation which we thought was fascinating because a lot of the job ads and hiring managers are saying, I need you to do the analytics and everything and then present it with charisma and go out. And we're like, okay, it needs to be done, but not necessarily maybe by all the same person. And then we did have this group called generalists, which uh, we saw that we're doing everything. And whether that's a healthy role or not, we don't know. Um, we suspect that that generalist population will go down as you know, there are more analytics folks that get in and more specialization um, is allowed inside of the organization. One thing I don't have the slide in here, but one thing we did ask was how big is your analytics team? And I wanted to bring it up because I think it's interesting. Um, um, I think 80% of the folks that were in our study were working on teams of 10 or less analytics people. Um, now, this was a year ago, so if we would do the sample today, would that be different? I don't know. Um, but I suspect, and what I see in the conversations that we have with customers is that the first thing is that they kind of put an, maybe a solitary or two analytics people out in the line of business, and then you have all these line of business analytics people there, then they set up a center of excellence trying to have some sort of leadership across you know, maybe best practices and sharing what software you're using and that sort of thing. but. Um, we still see very small groups and small teams working with each other, kind of out there, um, even in huge organizations. Anybody have any feedback in terms of that? In terms of that's what you see, or that's not what you see, or um, any comments? Yes. No. Not interesting. Okay. Just wanted to bring it up in case, in case oh, you oh, care. Yep.
3: It, it's a bit. I don't know how much is is valuable. Yeah. But it, it's very small terms. Yeah, I mean, ten is in fact is a very large. Number. It's
0: large. Yeah, yeah. You
3: know, you have maybe an institution. Let's say, four hundred researchers. Yeah. In, in in medical biomed or, or whatever, and they will have, you know, between five and ten. Yeah. And the ten is the highest number.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, so very where, small what's
3: teams. Is most of the people hired are dual professionals. If they want someone, they want somebody with a solid undergrad, let's say in biology or chemistry. Or, or whatever, mm-hmm. and plus the statistics, the I see what you
0: other, mean. Right, um, that knows the business as well as yes. the analytics side. And,
3: okay. You now, um, other areas that, are, um, that you need, let's say, it depends what the result, what, what the, let's say, the environment of the data. Sure. It's interested by, uh, in, you know, um, things that are very formal, and close closed models, right? Or when you have a lot of, you know, maybe all, all sorts of mass you know, yep. uh, weather and other things right. like intervening, right? And and markets and stuff, right. That is a different, different
0: cool. Thank part. you. Good. Very helpful. So small teams, it seems like they're still out there, out there. So that, that's very helpful. So when we took a look at, and um, I think this next slide is one that if you want to grab the presentation, maybe you want to take a look at this slide. Um, What we did was we went ahead and um, we plotted this information. So this is the same information as the prior one. So each one of these, you can see that this is the generalist down here. This is the workflow that we have going across the bottom. Obviously, this is aggregate. So the total amount of time that is spent in design, data acquisition, data preparation, and analysis. Um, I don't think it's a shock to anybody that you know analytics work is heavily loaded. Um, getting the data, either just getting the data, getting the data in shape, um, getting it ready to be analyzed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, so there's a lot of work that is done um, in this area. Um, What we see that I think was very interesting to see break out was the managers really doing, you know, if you had the, uh, you know, data preparation people kind of on the back end doing a critical, critical role, more of the presentation, um, more of the interpretation of the results, um, you know, presenting back out to the line of business, et cetera, et cetera, was done by the manager. And so, is that what you're seeing? Does it make sense? No, you? Yeah.
4: It just makes sense. It does.
0: Yeah. And so I think it's interesting when people, thank you, when people, you know, ask, I think on a lot of, you know, for careers, they're like, we need you to do that and come all the way here. It's an absolute requirement. But the question is, especially when we're measuring sort of soft skills and, you know, the person that does all this design and data acquisition, a very task intense focus, let me focus on the data or whatever. It's literally a different thing, the way we measure it to them, pop out and go, let me, you know, let me present. You can't have both of those. It's really one or the other, and so they're different people. Um, so I think this is a really interesting slide. If you, you know, are working, if you are a hiring manager, if you are, you know, uh, if you have students and they're thinking about, you know, or you're thinking about where, where do I think? You know, and you're wanting to get into this, um, you know, where might I be that focused generalist, you know, where I, you know, really love, love, love uh, the work that I'm doing? One hypothesis that we had that was wrong was we thought that the folks in this area, that this was a um, short-term position of people moving out of that and maybe upstream, and it's not the case. We had people that were doing those roles for a very long time and are very good at it and really wanted to stay there. So I think it's a a, a fantastic, obviously really interesting area. A couple of things, comments that I wanted to make is just how much time is spent in this early on uh, phase and how important that is. Um, you know, and new tools coming out, maybe to try to help, you know, in that area, but there's just so much, um, it's sort of really heavily loaded. Um, What happens that we see with clients is that, you know, they're, uh, let's say the line of business person says, yes, let's go, this happens with us as well with consultants, and then we get mired in this deep muck here, and they're like, where are the results, the exciting percentage uplift that you're looking for, and you're like, Ah, we're mired in this big bump. So I think one thing that we can show them visually even is that so much happens here and kind of set the expectation of when we start to come out for air. you know, when we can uh, start to show you things. So that was one thing uh, that we saw. The other thing that we saw is kind of interesting the whole visualization, you know, of the results because it's really at this point that you're saying, Hmm. you know, customers typically want to see what it means and they're not analytics professionals. And so what do you do to visualize and actually make that story come alive for them? And so I think we're seeing more in terms of tools and the like, but I think the people that are able to visualize and really turn that into, even what Tom was talking about, a story that you can tell back to your customers to say, this is what the data means and why you care. So we just thought it was just such a small amount of time that, Um, We thought that was curious. The other thing that I sort of tipped my hand on earlier is we did not include demand here, and that's one of the things that I would have put on there, but um, I think it's an interesting thing as you think about the question, other than skills, what makes you really fabulous as an analytics professional or data scientist as different? What really is it? And I think that's an interesting area to think about. Are you the kind of person that can really look at the business and come up with Hmm. These are great ways to, um, you know, to really use the technology and use analytics. Any questions on this slide? Yes.
1: Yeah. I was so enthralled by the data that was on the slide. I missed the first part of the point before. but You said there were two distinct groups of people. The second
0: group was the presenters. What was the first group? Um, the uh, way that I drew it out was just, you know, you have it back ended here, right, and then it goes all the way up here where the managers pick up. To do the interpretation and the presentation. here. So, I think a lot of times on job ads and the like, what they say is you need to be do, able to do this and this. I think you can do it, just not extraordinarily well. They kind of have to pick, you know, which which person do you want, and then expect maybe mediocre performance. So, on the other side, does that make sense? Yep. Question.
2: So, I'm. sure you familiar with the McKinsey study from 2011?
0: Yep. Uh, they
2: talk about. Um, that in 2018 there will be a shortage of uh, 190,000 yeah. data scientists, right. but 1.5 million managers.
0: Yeah. So
2: it seems like an imbalance uh, yeah. in terms of the demand for managers. So looking at this slide, do you get a sense of uh, whether that's accurate?
0: Yeah, the question was, there was a 2011 uh, McKinsey study where they, I think, it's so often quoted at this point that by, what, what is it, 2018? that there will be a lack of 190,000 uh, data scientists, but 1.5 uh, million managers will be lacking at that point.
2: That, that number's
0: gone up. Has it gone up? 2 million. Yeah, I know it's not going down. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it really brings an interesting point, you know, and that could be, I'm, you know, I presented at a SaaS event over in Germany recently at a, at a retail conference and um, um, was lucky enough to be the keynote. And they were talking a lot about um, um, analytics culture inside of billion-dollar organizations and what is that. And we spent a lot of time talking about demand because they're hiring a lot of data scientists, but the person that can create the demand, that knows the business but knows enough about what analytics can do, not how to code and not how to whatever, but enough about what it can do to create demand so you need the data scientists. And there were just lots of head shaking and lots of conversations, and it could be that that's why it's more of the demand side so you actually have something to do with the supply uh, once you have them hired. Did that help at all? Okay. All right. He had his hand up. Sorry. I can How much of that
2: of new use cases being made available and discussions around use cases so that if it works in one company, it can work in another and another
0: and another. Absolutely. Uh, the question was, um, you know, the importance of use cases that as they come out, you know, there's discussions and people go, really? You were able to do that, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. Um, what you don't want to do and what I love about what we found of the mindset of the data scientist is how creative they are. And it's really when you're able to go to market with something somebody else hasn't thought about, so you're not just copying all over the place. So part of what you wanna do is have those managers or people that do create demand and go, could we do this odd thing um, that's gonna give us you know, that little um, bump in the market that somebody else has thought about, they'll read the case study and copy it. But is there a way that you can, so yeah, use cases, fantastic. Um, and it's incredibly difficult to get data scientists to talk about their use cases and even customers to talk about, you know, what they're doing because it's such a closely held, um, um, you know, competitive advantage right now. But, yes, use cases everywhere. Question?
4: I was just wondering, do you personally believe that a lot or a fair bit in this McKinsey study? It sounds like it's very authoritative, but for well, the longest time, there've always been these studies projecting gigantic shortages of programmers, of this and that. When you look at the wages, they're relatively similar. Right. And and how it, it's hard to reconcile.
0: Yeah. Those two broad, uh, Yeah, it's it's a great point. The question is, you know, my personal belief in you know the McKinsey or other big studies that. I'd rather do something about it rather than get all, you know, oh, the sky's falling and oh, that's so scary and just repeat it over and over and over again. You don't see any referral to it here. I'd rather go, well, what's the problem with that? Or, you know, are they, again, are they really different people that we need to just birth more of them now, <laughs> right? <laughs> that they're so odd. I mean, we would be doing DNA tests or something. I don't think it's that. And so it feels a little hysterical to me. I, I have to say I... I don't like big mega trend things you can't do anything about that just make you scared. I'd rather say how do we solve it, and I think if we have the demand and we understand what the projects are, um, we have the people. We have fabulous MIT. We have you know UMass. We have so many at this point, And yes, it's catching up. You know Kennesaw State, Georgia State. Um, you know St. Joe's, et cetera, et cetera, that are doing so much. Um, so. I don't think it's as scary, but that's also my talent analytics profile. I'm really, scared. I'm really skeptical about everything, so, yes? Yes. Could you tell us a little
4: bit
2: about the proportions of each of these
0: classes and have you looked at high-performance teams, what does that look at the proportions of the classes? Yeah, uh, a great question. So, um, looking for a comment on the proportions of the people that are in each of these. I believe that the people that were in each of these clusters, I could be wrong if somebody's got, but I thought that we divided them into pretty even clusters, actually. Um, We have not done anything. We'd get a lot of questions around, you know, should I have one, you know, one um, data prep person for every two visualization people, then one manager has. We've done no work on that. Yeah, I would like to say we have, um, but we haven't done any work on that. One thing that I wanted to point out, I think we're probably about done with this slide, but I think it's a fascinating slide. And if you're in you know your own organization, if you're in a larger organization, you could actually do a study like this to actually find out what are the data scientists or analytics professionals doing. It, you could very easily administer this with, you know, to find out, you know, do we need more of that? Or are they all heavily loaded on one end or whatever? I think it really like all data tends to show uh, some really interesting things. You could use that with your clients, actually, some of the things you were thinking about. Um, Let me make this bigger. I just put this in here because I think this, um, these are, again, friends of uh, our firm, and they've done some uh, great research also. I'll make them really big. It's ugly, but um, um, Birch Works, I believe, I think that's how you spell it um she did a salary study she she actually is a recruiter for nothing but data scientists um and so um a if you're looking for a role you may want to you know be in touch with her um you can feel free to say greta roberts said you know uh, send it on through so whatever that'll get you but it won't be negative Um, but she has a salary study on her website that i think might just be interesting for a couple of reasons a it's a salary study b you can look for all the different titles that are in there. And that can be for those of you that are hiring people and you're thinking about what other titles are out there or how do they divide up the workflow or whatever. um, I think that will be interesting. Uh, We've been wanting to do research together and we've both just been too busy to do that. Um, And then also, sorry it's all the way at the bottom, um, Carl Rexer at Rexer Analytics. um, He did a study as well about what tools are currently used Um, and, uh, um, so I think it would be interesting. A couple of folks have been asking about tools and, you know, that sort of thing. And so if you want to just take a look at what's popular, what he sees and that sort of thing, um, I believe both of them are free as a download. So I think those could both be, uh, very (coughs) useful to you. All right, now we get to the raw talent benchmark and what talent analytics typically does um, with our uh, um, with our clients, and again, typically what we're doing is looking to optimize their sales reps, their call center reps, whatever, and then, you know, just through a stroke of curiosity on our own part, like, can we do this with data scientists, um, you know, if we can, it would be really cool. We can grab the market and have the world's only benchmark, and we still do, so. Anyway, uh, this is the result. Um, again, a lot of people focus on data sets, a lot of you know hoopla, what's the right one, how big, where's it from? social, whatever um, the skill sets, what should we have and that's what kind of uh, uh, what Carl Rexer is reporting on, and then the mindset. So these are all the different things that we measure. Um, think of on the left hand side there's really two categories. We measure your approach to problem solving, you know, are you more collaborative? Or are you more independent? Um, all of these are a scale of one to a hundred. Um, we measure kind of how you work with people. Are you more task oriented, more people oriented? Um, how do you deal with protocol and details? You know, um, I- I'm sorry, low detail? Or are you a high detail person? Project pacing? Are you more of like a Nah, I do everything the seat of my pants, or I, you know, do a lot with uh, a lot of processes and that sort of thing. So, that's what's you know here inside of the approach to uh, uh, these different things. We call it your performance style. That's the first thing we measure. The second thing that we measure, which I think is uh, sometimes we see actually this desire or your drive, we see that be a little more predictive sometimes, but we never know. It's depending on the role. You know, do you have a desire for achieving goals? Is that your number one thing that you're like, I'm a goal person, you know, is that, is that what it is? And oh, when you get it, you're like, yes, that's what I've been looking for. Um, helping others, is that what it is for you? And again, you wouldn't just have one of these, but it's the combination, right? Like of, you know, what's your score for that you like helping others versus your score for achieving goals versus your score for intellectual curiosity. Um, You know, do you just say, oh, regardless of whether somebody's saying, Greta, you need to learn something about this or that, you're going to go ahead and do it yourself. Does it keep you up at nights because you're like, it's four in the morning and I just keep, you know, tagging to the next thing, researching more and more and more. Does that, is that your drive? Um, We measure uh, discipline and rigor. Are you somebody that's like, I believe this is the right thing. I'm really disciplined. I'm going to go after it. You're, you know, are you, do you have a drive to compete just like you're, you know, crazy competitive? Um, Are you crazy creative, always looking for an out of the box solution? Or do you like working in a really special role where you march to the beat of your own drum, etc. So there's 11 of these in total, right? seven um, uh, seven of what we call your ambitions and drives, and then four of what we call your performance style. Each of these are scaled on one to 100. It takes about 25 minutes to go through this, boom, we calculate it instantly. Um, and then those are your talent analytics scores. So what we were wondering was, hmm, as we look at these 305, uh, what we call deep dive uh, uh, analytics professionals, because we evicted a bunch of people in our database, we asked them some preliminary questions like, You know, what are your primary tools? And if they said it was exclusively a spreadsheet, gonzo. They had to be beyond (laughs) that. So we did get a massive number of people still using spreadsheets, but we're like, no, we want to measure somebody beyond that. So that's why we called them deep dive analytics people, not just surface analytics people. So the question was, were we able to create models that very effectively optimized to explain or describe the people that were in our data set? and we were. And at the end of this, I'm gonna give you the opportunity, I'm gonna give you a URL that you can go to and you can take this and you can get your results within about a minute and they'll be mailed back to you and you can see what your talent analytics scores are and what your mindset are and if you like your results, you can feel free to use them in any job uh, things that you like and say, see the definitive answer there. So we actually did, pre- we did create a job benchmark for data scientists that um, it is the only industry standard for hiring analytics professionals. And of course, being the good goal-oriented person that I am, um, we license that to corporate customers. And so what they're doing is using that in their hiring process. I think I might have a, um, a, a quote from somebody in here. So I'm going to only give you I think two or three of the characteristics that we found because I don't want to make you smart rats and you can go and just, you know, answer the questions and go, "I know what I need to be." So, you know, <laughs> go ahead and try to trip this up if you want, but I would say don't don't do that because we have anti-gaming things that are inside of there and we're only in business because we do this very well. And so I'm only going to show you I think two or two or three. Um, and what you don't know is where they compare in comparison to the other ones, and so there's 11 combinations in how they compare, so don't try to outsmart it. You'll only be, I don't care what your scores are, you'll only be doing yourself a disservice. So the one thing that we saw, what we're showing here is all four functional clusters, okay? Remember we had the data preparation person, generalist, managers, and programmers, and what we wanted to see was, and we have other research ongoing to see, is there actually a different benchmark for a programmer than there is for somebody that does you know, uh, analytics management, you know, that's managing more? And what we're seeing here is a density plot. It's like a bell curve, right? I hope most of the people in here can recognize this. Um, the level of curiosity is being measured across the bottom. If your level of curiosity is 100, it means you're really, really curious, and the closer to zero it is, the less curious that you are. And so what we see, if we had a random sample here, um, um, we would expect it to be here at 1% as a flat line. And so anything that comes above or below um, is extremely interesting to us. And it's extraordinary to us what we were able to find in terms of the intellectual curiosity. These are research people, these are people that learn, that go, I don't care that I don't know X skill or that I haven't been formally trained in Y. If I need to do that, that's so fascinating to me. I'm going to learn on my own time. And what excites me about Meetup Group is that you guys are here for the love of the game to learn, not because somebody's holding a gun to your head. Um, You're here to learn because it's exciting and there's something about it that you spend your discretionary time doing this. And that's what they want in analytics, people that spend their discretionary time learning things, right? You can make me do it. But I hate to say my theoretical score is pretty low. I'm surrounded by lots of really fabulously, you know, uh, intellectually curious people, but I'm selling, so I would be a really bad uh data scientist here. But um any uh comments on this? Does this make sense to people? Questions?
3: Yep.
0: Would care to comment on the top two peaks? Would I care to comment on the top two peaks? Um this blue peak here is the managers, and this purple peak is the programmers. And so you know, it does lead us to believe that they are, um, you know, higher than these two peaks here. Um, but definitively, what you have to do is really see it in context of the other, uh, other 10 scores to really go, really, that's interesting. So they're very curious, but they're not this, or they're a this, that, or whatever. The most important thing that we can see in here is that you can't ignore that. That's really something that on all of them across the board, all four. And this is what concerns me, and I've, we've profiled so many people in this role, um, and even in our study that then when we created the benchmark and went back and matched it to our population, like, wow, there's a lot of people in here. They're very data-oriented. They keep details, but they're not curious at all. And so if I need somebody to keep up with the technology, and there's nothing bad about that, it's just difficult in the role, in a role that requires you to say, constantly learn, the technology is constantly developing and new things, and it's just speeding so fast. And so you don't want to have to go, oh, we just finished that, that set of training for you. Let's come and do the next formal training. You're not going to be able to spin it up fast enough. And they've got to be asking those questions like, why is it doing this? I'm just totally curious about that. And somebody, actually a gentleman over here brought up about working with business leaders. A lot of business leaders, depending on who you're working with, aren't curious. And so for you to be able to to be the one that walks in and says, let me ask the questions for you. Have you thought of this? Has it ever occurred to you to do that? They'll be like, not because they're bad, but like with me... I'm focused on other things. I'm focused on selling and running the business and that sort of thing. And so, what you can do is really borrow those attributes from different people, and they can borrow that from you. And so, they really need you to be, you know, and that's what generates demand. Them, they go, "Oh, that could be something we could do." That's what made it happen. Okay. Any questions? Yes.
4: Sorry to belabor it, but just. So what we're seeing is that the managers are more likely to be curious, but have a lower score versus the programmers who are less likely to be curious.
0: All of everybody here, all four of these clusters, um, you know, the largest percentage of the cluster would be described as being extremely curious people. The difference in practical capacity, you know, of what I would see in a role of somebody with a score of 75 versus a score of 100, um, you know, it really would depend on the rest of them. Because if they had another score that was 99, then you would see them making trade offs on that. So this isn't giving you context for how the rest of them uh, net out. But what, what the biggest thing to gain from here is that they're all very curious. It does look as if the managers and the programmers actually even have, you know, a larger percentage of them are even more curious, which is why the, you know, the humps are higher than the um, generalists and um, whatever the other one, uh, uh, data prep people. Okay, so that's the biggest thing that you can draw from this. Okay, the next thing that we measure, and again, we directly measure Curiosity, intellectual curiosity. If and you can't train on that. That's the thing. Is I could, you know, I went to intellectual curiosity school. They taught me how to, right? How can you? That's why we call it. It's below skills, right? And so you can have all those skills, but then they're like new releases of everything. They're like, no, skills don't matter at that point. This is the thing that matters. Does that help? All right. Excellent. Next thing that we measure, um, creativity. So, this is the thing that I thought was fun because everybody was going on and on about how creative people uh, they were, and yet there was nobody that had, you know, three people had a creative degree. So, I'm like, really? Um, so, what we see here again is that all of the functional clusters, again, here's 1%. Um, so, if this were a random sample, we would uh, see everybody here, were skewing high in um, uh, being very creative people, out of the box thinkers. And I'm very low creative, another reason I'd be a bad data scientist. Um, I come up with the first answer, and I'm like, excellent, we got an answer, let's run with it and go for it. No, everybody here is skewing towards saying, I love out of the box, you know, I get an answer and go, but what if we do it this way? What if we see it that way? What if we try it that way? And so, you know, they're looking for this sort of multi-sided um, approach to solving the problem. So what I loved is that we were able to measure creativity directly even when it didn't show up on a resume. Um, another good friend of our firm is, uh, um, and if you just wanna read some of his work, is a, a guy called um, Dean Abbott. Um, Abbott, analytics, maybe? Um, a very uh, a high-end predictive analytics uh, a person. And he said, um, Greta, you should have measured minors, because he said, um, um, I have a minor in music. And I thought that was a great point, were I to have done that again. Um, so it's fascinating that they were creative enough to go and meddle around in it, but not enough to want to go and get um, y- you know, a degree in it. So I thought that was really smart, and I bet we'd pick up more um, minors if we had that. Yep. Yeah, in
1: effect, the minor is sort of-
0: Yes, yes.
1: Your major is what you're focusing on in your spare time while you're in
0: college. Absolutely, it's love of the game, right? You were doing, and you were interested enough, but when it came to decision time about a role, you didn't take a job as a, you know, a a whatever, you know, English uh, instructor or whatever. But it's still really interesting to you. So if you're in a role where it values how creative you are, lovely, that's great. And that's the point, because then you get to do the stuff after work right, the discretionary time you're giving to your role, and that's the point. It's exactly the point, right? And this starts to be some of the difference between a lot of actuarial work and that sort of thing where you're not wanting them to be creative. You're like, no, stay within the lines, do exactly the same thing over and over again. Does that make sense? You don't want them to be creative, and so can we teach them to be creative and do this? No, they'll still be wanting to, you know, they do beautifully, execute beautifully and really low risk and all that sort of thing. So it's really that mindset that you can't retrain. The last one that that I'm going to show you is uh, we measure objectivity, which is really are you more of a task person or are you more of a, um, so this is curiosity, creativity, um, and uh, objectivity. And so are you more of a task person, Um, you know, the data scientists or analytics people, um, and the lower to the left you are, the more of a task person you are, the closer to the right you are, the more of a people person you are, and you can see, astonishingly so, these are people that say, I can sit and work with the data, I can work on my tasks, I can, I can do this, but when you ask me to go out and be charismatic and present the results and you know, do all of this, then I get docked on that. No, it's a different person. It's mutually exclusive. You can't, you know, you can't expect them to be fantastic at both sides of that. It's an impossibility thing.
3: I'm gonna disagree with you on a few things. Um, go for it. I, I I looked your analysis and I see it more or less in a traditional way of uh, schooling. Okay. A whole bunch of silos. Yeah. And we're when you we start talking about large amounts of data, you know, besides the, the let's say the 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 environment that we have today. Yeah. And, and which is, you know, getting uh, bigger and bigger in terms of volume of data. Um, I think We are expecting someone to produce a product, to produce something that is not addressed by the old formal education or the format of the older education. And therefore, I think this analysis, as good as it is, doesn't respond to what is really needed. For instance, um, maybe people are not doing it, but let's say a librarian. Mm-hmm. Would be somebody with librarian skills, yeah, would be way more useful than somebody with an engineering degree at certain
0: point, yeah. So, actually, we're completely agreeing with you. We are, we're completely, I don't mean to cut you off, but I know I'm just about out of time, and we actually completely agree with you that remember, we weren't about skills, and I mean, we're also about skills. But part of what we didn't want to do is we wanted to focus on, because a lot of people are hiring people without, um, I haven't been an analytics professional before. Um, Actually, uh, I don't know if it's the one in here, but I've talked to a lot of people. There's a gentleman in a casino. He's now in charge of their analytics program in a high capacity, as you know, would be in a casino. And I just like stories. Where did you come from? And he said, I was a bartender. And I'm like, really? And how did that qualify you? He goes, I was so fascinated. He goes, and I just you know, kept learning. I learned on my own or whatever. It's the librarian. And so it's not the title to me. It's not whatever. And so we are, as a matter of fact, presenting these in silos because that, just for, for the sake of us talking about it. But as I've talked about what we do with our algorithms is it's a multivariate approach and we pull it all together and we take a look at that. So um, I know we're looking at people that are employed successfully in analytics roles. So we're not making anything up. We're just uh, explaining the data here. So um, so what you don't know or what the other uh, seven or eight or whatever adds up to 11 are, but these are three of the ones that I wanted to uh, kind of pull up to you in terms of uh, some of the things that we, um, um, that we saw. Just a couple of seconds just so that you know um, what's available to you if you are a hiring manager or if you're somebody that is looking for work out there that um, if we have our way, everybody will be going through this. Um, But we have a platform actually that, you know, does measure what your innate traits are. We have the benchmark, which is inside of our our program here. In an instant, we calculate people in this particular one. This is the match to the benchmark. Um, You know, whatever percentage it is, we match everything in here. We do a gap analysis. We describe what the gap is. We generate behavioral interview questions based on that. So it's something that people are able to use in an instant for pretty much any role once we've done the work. And for the uh, data scientist work, um, we have the benchmark that if people have no other data, it's a great way uh, for them to begin. Um, This is just a nice accolade from this happened to be Ontario Lottery and Gaming that is using us for hiring their analytics professionals. Um, AstraZeneca is using us. There's uh, a lot of folks that are. You just said they've operationalized our data scientist benchmark into their hiring process and they're able to identify and proactively explore potential gaps during the interview process rather than discovering them after making the hire um, so they operationalized this they use this on every uh, data scientist um, that they bring on board um, and they started as they started using it they you know continued to go with their gut and just say okay this is what we thought now let's see what advisor would think and you know, a lot of times they would agree, and sometimes advisors would come in and point out things that they were a little uh, nervous about. Just a couple of study conclusions, um, you know, PhD appears not to be a requirement. Degree in skills, um, and this is something that our gentleman at Farmers said, that people interviewing people or hiring managers use a degree and skills often as a proxy for how someone thinks, and they think if you have a master's or a PhD in math, that you think in the way that you need to as an analytics professional. Do you have a question there? I do. Yep. So, uh, I guess maybe I should do this right after you. But you, at the beginning, mentioned that
4: we should be thinking in terms of said as skills. And also, you mentioned that most analytics professionals were had a tenure of less than two years in school. Yep. So it seems like there has to be some trade off in terms of if you want to get going, you have to have somebody who knows skills that they're at that time. Yep. And at some point, your know, mindset's going to take over where you want that smart guy who's going to be the top girl thirty girl. Right. Um, and so, how, how does that work? Is it a one-year turnover? Is it a two-year turnover? Is it three months in, you know, that guy with the right mindset takes over the guy who knows
0: um, I, well, I don't know where the, I don't, I know what you're talking about, but I can't say it's eight months or something like that. I, I don't know what the time frame would be, but I do see a lot of people using this for people right out of school. Um, and that's the one benefit is you can go into bartenders. You can go into folks right out of school that, you know, maybe don't have exactly that and know. So if
4: you know you're going to be training in them extensively, then you want to with the right Whereas conversely, the higher, maybe the more senior you are in your role.
0: mindset Mindset is always important even even in you know the seniority of the role um how would i answer the question um because a lot of what people do is use this to take a look at a, a, a get a baseline of who they have on their bench to begin with and again, a, a lot of times they'll go, exactly, that's what I thought. But now they're able to look at the data and say, well, that makes sense. Of course, Greta's struggling. You know, we have her in a role where she's this and that, and maybe you can move around and, you know, even it moved me inside of the workflow and maybe that would be kind of a better fit. So, you know, it's used that way. It's also not used as the only reason for hiring. So let me be clear about that. You know, gut instinct, education, training skills, et cetera. We're not replacing ours with skills and education and everything else, we're adding it into that. It's kind of additive. So it really depends what the goal is that they're working on, to look at a baseline, to have new people come in, um, look elsewhere inside the organization. I don't know if I exactly answered the question, but. No, you I
4: mean, did, so it's portfolio. Definitely. yep. And also, in terms of how mutable do you find
0: them? Yeah, that's pretty much uh, what took us a few years to really find things to measure that aren't that changeable. Um, you know, we tend to see people longitudinally. You might migrate a little bit over time, um, but you don't typically switch from a fish to a cat. You know, you tend, you know, ah, you know, where's the tail? Like, what, what happened there? Well, once you then done. you know, I might, the assessment may
4: come up. I'll never work it.
0: Um, if you, well, no, what if you suck, I don't look at it, so I don't care. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's up to you what we're measuring you exclusively against. And I struggled with this. I'm like, all right, do I want, you know, I wanted to offer it because a lot of people contact me on LinkedIn and stuff and say, Hey, you know, can we, how do I, whatever. And I'm like, Hey, you're interested. Why not? So, um, you know, you don't have to take it. The only results come to you. Um, if it, if you like it, then use it wherever you want. If you don't, then rip it up. Um, but the way that I would really use it, what's that? Or change fields. Or change fields. But I think what, what I what I have on the report, and I do the report especially actually for this meetup group, is for it to be inside the report where we compare you exclusively to the data scientist benchmark. So what it will say is what your score is, your percentage match to the to the you know data scientists that are out there, and then it will put in their flags, potential flags that if you're in the role. And I, believe me, I've talked to uh, thousands of people and say, you know, does this fit for you? Because the first thing we need is for it to be right uh, or or it all falls apart. Um, and so people are like, no, I feel that. I absolutely feel that. Should you get out of that role? No, I'm not telling you that. Don't, you know, find your spot. You know, find your spot or let it be a good reflection to say there are people in this role that tend to be a little different. So I would use it for, for learning that way. Yep.
1: Up. The, the internal-external was interesting. Yeah. Have you had many companies use this to analyze their own internal candidates, and have they come away surprised?
0: Um, the question, have, they, have people use it for their internal candidates? Yeah. Um, absolutely, they use it for internal candidates. That's the love, is you can use it for somebody that, because people are like, well, how do I know who might be good? And we're like, Ask them, if you're interested, apply for the job, right? And the people that are curious are going to go, I'm really curious about that. They're going to raise their hand. Are they surprised at the role? I mean, at the uh, results? No, because typically, as an example on the curiosity, if somebody is sitting in an XYZ role, not analytics, and they're just curious as all, you know, they're probably the ones that people are going, would you shut up? Would you quit being such a know-it-all? Would you quit bringing up all these things that we don't need to focus on? Or like, hey, I thought of a great idea, we could do this, they're that person. So that's the thing, they've been doing that in whatever role they're in, they can't stop it. And so are they surprised? No, but it's a nice standardized way to go, that's what it was. They may not be able to put their finger on it, Mm -hmm. but now it's, yeah, it's been quantified, exactly. It's a great way to use it, yeah, great way to use it. Is there
2: a question? Uh, Do you plan to do the study again? over time and
0: compare the results? Yes, we do. We're about probably six months away. We want to do it again. But yeah, we'd like to see it. And I think it's going to change a little bit. I think there's going to be, um, we're going to try this time to do it by industry. One thing we did to um, um, bribe, uh, you know, to get our sample size as high as we did, was if there were uh, certain companies that would give us a certain amount of their data scientists, then we would aggregate their data and compare it to the uh, um, to their greater population and do big presentations for them or whatever. And we, that's one way that we were able to see a little bit of industry effect. And so we were able to see there was a little bit, you know, there were a, a little bit of a difference between like financial services and retail um, and let's say healthcare analytics or whatever. There are some things that were like, that makes, yeah, that makes complete sense that we were at, you know, able to see that. So, uh, yes. Let me just see if there's anybody else. Sorry, just because you've had a bunch of questions. Yes. Remember, it was hard for us, and the data scientists didn't let us ask those questions. So we saw a little bit of a difference, but overall, it wasn't enough for us to say, oh, this only works for this industry in, you know, demographics, you know, in this part of the world with this number of data scientists or whatever. So there, what we saw was little. It was not, I, I feel very confident with, with the benchmark that we have. So, But I think there are some that would be interesting, or like people that do a lot of... Um, oh, like manpower or stuff like that, that are in kind of a people industry. I'm not going to tell you too much about what we saw, because I don't want to bias you towards the rest of the things that we measure, but we saw, you know, people industry would pull out a, a slightly different thing. So, yes? Um,
3: I just want to your opinion um, very quickly. Uh, a lot of institutions, especially um, on high academics and, and others, or, or high research institutions, I put an enormous interest in one's cover letter. Yeah, and in fact, the cover letter um, is almost even more as important. Yeah, the rest of it. hmm And they're explicitly saying that.
0: Right. So my what, impression what about the cover letter, um, the, I think what's uh, I agree. I mean, we hire people too, and you know, you have a millisecond to walk through, and if you think for a second. I mean, the first thing that people do is just like goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. They're looking for reasons to exclude you. And so if you can net it out and have them glance in you know, two or three sentences why it's important to you, um, then yeah. So I think a lot of people are just too busy and they're looking for ways to exclude you versus reasons to include you. And then once you make that final pile, then they get to, to the rest of it. So, um, um, okay, let me keep going here. Uh, Functional clusters, we found those clusters. I think it's interesting for you to kind of think about, like in your role, what works really well for you, you know, even if you don't say that to your, you know, whoever's hired you, whatever, just try to think about like what fits, you know, feels like a great area or when you're hiring, you know, like really what area do you need so you can accurately represent that to um, the people that are working with you. Um, we found few people really well suited for the entire analytics spectrum. We think it's unrealistic and it can't scale. You have to really be able to borrow those and go, wow, you do that. Great. You know, you do it naturally. Tag you. Can you help us with that? Um, and analytics makes it possible to find, um, this is an interesting one here. A lot of people, I'll get a lot of calls from people that are like, we're having no problem finding people and hiring them. It's keeping them. And I'm like, oh, really, like, well, what's happening? They're like, well, they were here for six months and then they left, and I'm like, why'd they leave? And they say, oh, because they got a job for 30% more, so it's financial, and I think they're full of beans. Um, because in the folks that I've talked to, um, they're leaving because they're bored, right? If you think about it, right, these are people that don't like to be bored. Right, I don't want to tip my hand too much else on what else we find, but financial compensation tends to be important, but not the most important thing. And so businesses need to, yes, they need to pay good salaries because it's really in demand, um, but that's not the thing that keeps people there. It might be the thing that you know people are like, oh, I can't, can't turn that down, but they get bored and they leave. And I said, ask the next question. What are you going to be doing at the new role? Well, I've got all these new things or whatever. They were bored. So I think that's the number one reason people are leaving today. Um, the raw talent mindset, there's really a clear raw talent mindset um, for analytics professionals and for specific sales reps and specific in roles in general. And just like in the customer side with customer analytics, you look for um, customer, uh, what are they called? Um, personas. Always looking for customer personas in marketing. There were a bunch of uh, marketing people here. Oh, I wish we could come up with a better, more quantitative customer customer persona because they cluster together and they do things and similar things. And that's what we're able to do here is create these personas for people. Um, And then on your analytics career, since this was kind of, you know, using analytics to build a big data um, um, workforce, you know, if you are in analytics or even if you're interviewing people in analytics, you know why analytics is because it's hot is because seriously, you're really interested in it. And I think this is just, you know, other than skills, and if you're interviewing other people, ask them this question. Other than skills, and that you have way more than anybody else that's out there, what makes you stand out as an analytics professional. Um, And you're a curious person, probably, and so think about it and get crazy and research it and whatever put to use, really, or, you know, whatever you have. And I would say, you know, you know, what is your area in generating demand? I don't know. Think about areas where you have that slice that stands apart, that you can provide ROI insight, you know, focused expertise, employee analytics. I'm a big fan of getting into that and make sure that, you know, you allow them to interview you and you can interview them as well because you really want a good fit that lasts for a long time.